0: Welcome to the glory in our stories. On this episode, we'll be speaking with Sean Parcham. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. This is episode 53 of the glory in our stories. Today I have the pleasure of sitting down with Sean Parchum. Hey there. He's a um, co-worker of mine. I met him about three years ago now and um, I remember whenever I would come and sit close to him or even pass him he would ask me so did you hear about such and such uh, but the cool thing about it was it was never really anything that the majority would know about. Oh so, uh, okay. Well uh, thank was, you. Uh, I enjoy the compliment. Thank <laughs> <I> You flatter <laughs> so, me too much. So it, it was always intriguing. I'm like, no. So And my mom's like, tell me more. But we never had an opportunity to sit in a proximity of each other long enough. You're right. To uh, have those right. kind of that conversations. Is um, so uh, Sean's a pretty cool guy, very informative. And I just, it would always be something new. It would never be the same thing. In three years, every time I, I ran across you, it was always something well, different. You're making me feel good about my <laughs> conversational abilities, so. Wow, so, but I well, really, like, this is the
1: most anybody's praised me in like a year.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, but speaking of which, with, were you born here in Augusta? Where did you grow up?
1: So uh, that started in the Atlanta area. It's not technically Atlanta. All the AT aliens freak out when like you're in the metro <laughs> area and you say Atlanta. And they're <laughs> like, that's oh, not really Atlanta. But it was like a 10-minute drive from Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So let's just call it Atlanta. That's where everybody knows where it is. But yeah, I was born, raised in Atlanta, I'd say for about 10 years and not much really happened. I was kind of like typical, like suburban white middle class kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And then, and a lot of people, I don't know why they don't remember this, but there was a 2001 recession, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so that was the recession before the 2008 crash. Yeah. My dad lost his job and they couldn't afford the mortgage anymore. My mom worked for charity, so she didn't get paid a lot. Yeah. You know, she worked for Project Reed and stuff like that. And so she eventually, because we need money, she found a job as an interim pastor for the Presbyterian Church mm-hmm. in this small town called Swainsboro, you know? <laughs> and so, uh, really, really small town. And so we moved there, and... I don't I don't wanna say like I'm you know, I don't wanna pretend like I'm the most interesting man in the world. Yeah. But that's that's when things really started to kind of get interesting. Because my dad, and love the man, don't get me wrong, but he went through I don't even know if this is the right word, because he actually was a really good artist. Mm-hmm. He went through this phase where he's like, Well, I don't have a job anymore, so I'm gonna start doing art.
2: Wow. And
1: he wasn't I don't wanna say he wasn't looking for a job but it took him a while to find employment and for that probably like four year period, he just did art while my mom worked as a pastor. He eventually got to the point where he was selling his paintings in Germany.
2: Wow. And
1: I don't, I don't know how he pulled that off, not because he was a good artist, yeah. but it's just, I don't know how he got the contacts over to Germany for that kind of thing to sell him in Germany. He was selling them for about like 3,000 bucks a piece. Anyways, the interesting thing about my house at that time is that my mother's a pastor, but my father is in, in no way a Christian. In no way. No way whatsoever. So I don't know how they got together on that thing, because my mother is highly religious. Yeah. And my father, he's, I wouldn't say he's an atheist, but he's, he's, he's like the opposite of highly religious. You know? <laughs> like, he doesn't have a religious bone in his body. And, uh, and she's really conservative, and he's, he's kind of this big hippie almost in a way he's got hair that goes all the way down to his hips like this long black hair goes on to his hips and the funny thing is that uh he worked as a drill sergeant
2: wow when he was younger
1: yeah he he got he got put into vietnam and if i'm remembering the story correctly he got injured in vietnam he took he took some bullets to the leg
2: Ah.
1: and so they were like okay you've been injured you know we're gonna cut your time you're you're time of service here short because, you know, you got injured for us and everything like that. Yeah. And so they sent him back. He recovered, spent some time on a base in Germany, which is probably where he got the connection for the paintings, probably an old time friend.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then they made him a kind of a drill sergeant. And so this guy, when he gets out of the military, he grows his hair out, yeah. you know, learns to play guitar, like all the stereotypical, like hippie stuff you could think of. <coughs> <laughs> and so... I don't know. You'd never tell that he was a drill sergeant. But anyways, the interesting thing that happened to me, and I, and I don't want to embarrass my mom and dad, so I'm not going to say exactly what it was, yeah. but <clears throat> I got in really big trouble when I was like 13, 14, don't remember the exact year, mm-hmm. and uh, so uh, my dad has two rules at the time, it was basically make good grades, don't let the cops bring you home.
0: And so That's pretty legit. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs>
1: And so, since I got in this, this, this big trouble, you know, uh, he sat me down and he goes, Okay, we did it your mom's way, we're gonna do it my way now. So, yeah. every, every, every weekend, you're gonna do lawn work at the church for like hours, hours on end. And he put this big stack of books in front of me. And it was, and we were talking about this yesterday. Remember the Bible quote and the yeah. Frederick Wilhelm Nietzsche yeah. thingy. It was a big stack of books, and it was stuff like Aristotle and Nietzsche and <laughs> all of this like really old, like ancient Greek philosophy, and some stuff from from Renaissance Europe. And he wasn't gonna read these books when you get home. Also, like you're not gonna go anywhere. He's gonna read these books. <coughs> and the funny thing about it is, is that if if you've got a 13 year old kid 14 year old kid who's kind of you know a little bit wild and you're trying to bring him in yeah. i feel like the worst thing you could you could give him to read is nietzsche that's like the worst <laughs> possible thing you could give like, a kid that age who's like kind of in trouble because if you if you read nietzsche it's it's this kind of it's this kind of like oh you know morality isn't real throw it out the window who cares like you know yeah. if you're if you're powerful powerful enough like you know follow your desires like this kind of crazy stuff that I'd be like that would just make you worse like why would you even and the funny thing is I don't even, I don't even understand most of what I'm reading you know I'm 14 years old I don't understand most of it Yeah. but then like two years later I'm 16 I go back to it and I read it and I understand a little bit more of it hmm. and I was like oh okay yeah this, this is some pretty interesting stuff not that I agree with most of it but like it makes you think Yeah. and then when I you know a few years down the road I go back and I read it again I understand a little bit more and more each time I read it and, and that was what got me into philosophy <clears throat> but anyways uh, fast forward a bit to when we move away from the place and I'm in high school back in Atlanta you know and I, I made like basically straight F's freshman year of high school down in Swainsboro mm. and I remember my mom and dad sit, sat me down there like listen you're doing terribly in school if you if you get good grades if you get the hope scholarship mm-hmm. and you need help paying for college you say it and we'll help you pay for whatever you need after the hope scholarship nice and after that uh it was just basically straight a's i don't know that kind of motivated me because you see all those dumb movies like animal house <laughs> you know the like, college experiences like so amazing they make it look so, so much better than it actually is yeah and i was like okay yeah if you're gonna pay for that if i get the hope scholarship then yeah so after the first year of straight I was able to bring my high school gpa back up to i think it was a 3.6 which at the time they've raised it but at the time was enough to get the hope scholarship and i got a few other scholarships which meant i got to avoid the whole student debt trap yeah and they helped me pay rent a little bit a little bit of food money here and there so thank god yeah you know because I see a lot of people in student debt. Nothing wrong with it. Trust mm-hmm. me, I'd probably have it too if, if I wasn't so lucky. But that was, that was nice. So that's basically me from childhood up to age
0: 18. Wow. Basically. It's funny hearing somebody say philosophy in Atlanta in the same sentence. Really? Yeah, because usually people equate Atlanta with a mecca for music. Oh, yeah. But. <clears throat> well, don't get me wrong. I love.
1: And I, and, I, and I know a lot of people say this and don't really mean it, but I really do mean this.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, I love most genres of music. As a matter of fact, I spend a lot of time just looking for new genres of music because I'm bored of what I've already been listening to. Yeah. And it gets to some really like weird stuff. And some of it I don't even like, but I just like it for a moment because it's just so different and I haven't heard it before. Yes. But yeah, you know, you're right. Atlanta actually is a pretty big music scene. Uh, you know They've got insomnia the vinyl those are the old music venues uh the masquerade if you've ever heard of that one that's like the big one there for the local Mm -mm. music venues uh but yeah but no yeah philosophy mostly like it was what i got into as a kid and it's kind of weird because when you get into that kind of thing no matter where you go atlanta or not it's such i hate i hate to use this term but it's so esoteric and like so very few. Very few people read it. Mm. We're like, you almost never get to talk to anybody about it. It's <laughs> it's almost like you're just alone with yourself, and so that's why the internet's great because you can find a lot of places to discuss philosophy online. Yeah. And actually, I will say this. I know I know a lot of people like to make themselves out to be like, you know, the smartest person ever. Like, oh, I know exactly what this person is saying when I read their philosophy. Mm. But in truth, I don't think anybody, or at least not most people, it takes a very gifted person to understand an actual philosopher on the first read through. Yeah. And I feel like my, my best technique for learning philosophy is uh, <clears throat> I'd read it and I'd be like, okay, I'm not exactly certain what I got right and what I got wrong. So you'd go to one of these online forums where they discuss philosophy. And I'd like to call this the, the Frederick Douglass School of Philosophy. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but, anyways, you post your misinterpretation. You go, okay, guys, so this is, this is what I think you know, this philosopher said. And then a thousand people just pour into the discussion and they're just like no you're wrong about that and you're wrong about that and you're wrong about that and and I actually want them to do that yeah. cuz then you can cuz then you can look at it and go okay maybe I did misinterpret it yeah. you know and then go back and read it again and see if see if it kind of lines up a little bit better and uh, I don't know if you you've heard you know Frederick Douglass
0: obviously right yeah.
1: but did you hear how Frederick Douglass learned how to read yeah that was now that was pretty cool
0: yeah like how he did that. I remember one technique he used is um, it's like, I think he needed to learn the capital of such and such. So he deliberately said the wrong answer so they could tell him, no, 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 it's such and yeah. such. No, no, I'm right. And then he, that's how he yeah. ended up learning. And I
1: honestly believe with the Internet now, if you go onto these forums to discuss philosophy, I feel like that is the best way to learn philosophy without a university education. I feel like it's absolutely the best way. Yeah. Just go into these forums, be like, here's my interpretation. I know it's wrong, but don't tell them that you know it's wrong. Because then... <laughs> Because then they're not going to flame you with, like, a million angry responses. You want yeah. those angry responses. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> so, yeah. So that's definitely uh, definitely the best way to learn philosophy if you're ever going to go.
0: And it's funny you said that because on Facebook, it's the opposite. A lot of people don't want to be wrong. Yeah. And we're t- and they're arguing on a platform that produces content that you s- that's questionable, but a lot of people are taking it as law, like, this is true. Oh, yeah. And it's funny. Absolutely.
1: That's the thing. That's the thing about Facebook. I actually feel like people say people say the problem with the internet is that you're anonymous, right? Mm-hmm. I totally disagree with that. I think that's I think that's the best part of the internet because when with Facebook, where your face and your name is associated with it, yeah, all of a sudden you don't want to lose face, you know, you don't want to admit you're wrong or anything like that. On these anonymous message boards, sure, people get heated, but it's not like you're it's not like your actual, like, reputation where everybody can see it is on the line, mm-hmm. you know? And so the anonymity of it, I feel like, kind of makes the discussion a little bit more civil as opposed to Facebook where all yeah. of a sudden everybody's, somebody's identity is actually there and yeah. on the line as being, like, you know, this, all, this all-knowing person who can never be wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, like, yeah, uh, definitely. I, I do have that small problem with Facebook.
2: Yeah.
1: Also, you can't, uh, the other great thing about the internet being anonymous is that you could uh, obviously within a certain realm, you know, nothing illegal, mm-hmm. you'd get arrested for it, but you could, be a, you, you could be as crazy as you want and not have to worry. Of course, you have to understand, I was, I was a 13-year-old boy growing up with the internet, as I imagine probably you were around that time. Yeah. And so you could, you could ask the craziest questions and not worry about your mom, like, nagging you about it or anything <laughs> like that. Or being like oh this is so terrible like why would you why would you ever go to this place and speak with these kinds of people you know and Facebook (laughs) has your face on it so now it's like oh well you know yeah like I love I love uh, I love the weirdos because like and that's where you can find them on the internet
0: you know that's funny I remember uh, I've been watching documentaries on Netflix about you know per decade and I've covered the 1990s which is very interesting um, because I've been telling people it's amazing how much involved the younger generation was into everything that was popping but it seemed like all of that was a distraction from what was going on behind the scenes like there was so much that I didn't notice because as a child I got to child I'm like it doesn't pertain to me so why should I care but these are the things that were going on in our parents' eyes like everything that was going on with, with Bill Clinton and then in the first bush and the war and it's just the, ec- the the economy, and I'm like I never saw that in the '90s.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I was little during the '90s, and I didn't and I didn't see it during the '90s either at that age. Yeah, which is because we were kids. We were kids. Yeah, yeah exactly. So we were kids. You know, like yet again, I was a 13-year-old with the internet. I wasn't concerned with that. You know, I was looking up all those dirty sites that most <laughs> 13-year-old <laughs> boys do.
0: Yeah, you know. <laughs> so, uh, what would you, um, as far as reading, did you? Find interest in anything else like fiction? Yeah. So, like, as far
1: as fiction reading goes, yeah. Hands hands down, my absolute favorite is science fiction. Oh, like yeah. hands down, hands down. That's uh, my mom's
2: actually.
1: Is she a big Star Trek fan? I know it's not technically a book, but yes, she is. She okay, is. She yeah. She see, my Star mom's Trek. a huge Star Trek fan. Yeah. And I and I, by proxy, I used to watch it with her as a little kid. hmm And she would she would watch TV and she and she would point out. There's this one episode where Spock. Uh, had this large disc that was like a really large CD. Mm-hmm. And she was like, man, when I was a kid, that technology would have blown my mind to have these big discs that store all this information. But now you've got like, like you don't need a disc, you like a thumb drive, like the size of your thumb. <laughs> and this was supposed to be like thousands of years in the future. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> but I guess, I think, I mean, of course, you love things. Everybody, at least I, I hope everybody, because they're just really cool. Everybody loves giant robots, yeah. you know, and spaceships and laser battles and everything like that. But another, as I got older, another thing I really loved about science fiction is that with that genre, a lot of the authors, not only do they like to imagine new technology, but they like to imagine new forms of organizing society. Yeah. You know, like with uh, Stranger in a Strange Land, great book. The guy, he's he's from Earth, but as a kid, he, he lands on Mars. He gets raised by the Martians. He comes back to Earth. And, of course... Because it's a different culture, he's culturally very different, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and he teaches the people on Earth a new way to live, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and of course, these these kind of new futures of social organization they imagine aren't always positive. But a lot of them are like Star Trek, for yeah. instance, mm-hmm. uh, the, the whole post scarcity economy in Star Trek, <clears throat> where nobody had to worry about starving or anything like that because had this new technology that could replicate any form of matter, which meant food.
0: Yeah,
1: also. So, they had this post-scarcity economy, and, in, and instead of having to worry about the menial tasks of life, their society was organized towards further exploration, mm. you know? <clears throat> so I really love the fact that science fiction imagines new futures, not just for the technology, but for the way people organize society,
0: mm.
1: kind of. I, I, I know that sounds really pretentious, but it is really <laughs> one of the parts I love about science fiction.
0: So how do you feel about, I think I actually did it before, how do you feel, feel about Star Wars? So the, the interesting thing is, and I, I will argue this point, even though I
1: do love Star Wars, I yeah. love it. Yeah. <clears throat> but actually, Star Wars, and I, and I don't mean this in a derogatory manner. I don't mean this in a derogatory manner. I just mean it in a descriptive manner. Uh, due to the fact that it engages in, and boy, we're, we're going to get really deep here, that it, engages, <laughs> that it engages in the hero's journey, Yeah. It's. It seems like a very conservative view.
2: Mm-hmm. And it
1: doesn't seem to really... Because yet again, a lot of science fiction does, but not all science fiction imagines like new organizations of society. Mm-hmm. So I would argue that you've got this uh, pre-imperial society you know, which was, uh, I forgot the name of it, because I, I do love Star Wars, but I'm not a huge freak on Star Wars. Mm-hmm. But you know, the prequels, whatever they had, yeah. the scent and everything like this, and everything was great, and the Force was in balance, mm-hmm. and then it becomes imbalanced, and Luke has to go on this hero's journey to return things to the way they once were.
0: Yeah.
1: Which, is, which is a very kind of uh, conservative way of looking at society. It's not let's see what new things we can do to progress. It's let's go back to the old ways yeah. kind of thing. And so I do love Star Wars. Uh, and I do actually really love the way it kind of explores the hero journeys with, you know, laser swords. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't know if I'd put Star Wars underneath, underneath that type of science fiction. And even though it does have a lot of science fiction elements, yeah. with the Force like being such a religious concept, it almost feels like a mixture of science fiction and fantasy. But yes, I do love Star Wars, though. I do love Star Wars. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. More, more, more the original trilogy, even though I do love some of the new movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> I would say... I forgot the name of it. But the one where they, they... It's almost like a prequel with the guy who made the plans for the Death Star. Rogue One, that was it. Okay. Rogue One's was definitely one of my favorites. I like the first one of the new movies, though. Uh... Particularly, not the rest of the movie, but the main the main character Finn, definitely Finn.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I felt I really loved his character because if you look at the Star Wars stories, a lot of the times it feels like the characters are kind of sucked in to whatever it is they're doing. You know, like Luke doesn't sit there and choose for himself to go and become a Jedi. I mean, he does to a certain degree; he has to go through the training. Yeah. But his parents are killed. Old Ben shows up. And says, you know, come with me. What, what else is he going to do? So he goes <laughs> along, and he kind of gets sucked into this hero's role. But with, with Finn, he's a stormtrooper.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And he's on this mission, and he sees all of this violence and terrible tragedy on his mission. And he takes off his helmet, and he looks around, and he sees this. And he could easily put the helmet go, back on and go back to whatever he's doing in life at the Empire. Mm-hmm. But he makes a conscious decision. You can see it in his face. He's seeing to himself, like, I can't be a part of this anymore. It's yeah. not circumstance that drags him along; it's a conscious choice on his part. It feels like so. That's that's why I particularly really like that character, even mm-hmm. if I wasn't big on the whole movie.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now, in relation to that um, Luke Skywalker's character and how he develops, would you? S- let me ask you this: Would you say that Superman in like the nineteen eighty no nineteen seventy nine version with Christopher yeah. Reeves, would you say that he consciously chose? To do what he did, or was he inspired by what he was told by his um, his his biological father and his parents on Earth? What like what what did, what compelled him? Do you think to actually become Superman?
1: Well, you know, I I think it's I, honestly I really do like how that movie kind of seems like very classic Superman. Yeah, you know, and so. I feel like he does choose the heroic action because he could choose the alternative very easily, right? Yeah, he could. He's so powerful, he could easily choose the alternative. Yeah. So, yeah, the values set him up to make the right choice, but he could have very easily made the alternative yeah. choice, you know? And so that's... So I would definitely say for Superman, it was, it was definitely a choice. Yeah. You know?
2: <laughs>
1: but
0: it reminded me of... Our, uh, last... Is it Last... No, Red Sun. Red Sun when oh yeah when he yeah. landed uh, I think it was twelve hours later in uh in Russia the Soviet Union and it's funny because you can't help but side with like this is this is how he was raised well yeah and he's still he's still a hero in Red yeah, Sun yeah yeah but because he's I guess working for the enemy yeah he's he's, he's in the, the Soviet enemy. Union you yeah. know the
1: red scare and everything like that and the Cold War and. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he'd be on the enemy side, so you're kind of like, I don't know if I would root for a Soviet Superman, but regardless of where he's born, though, he still cares about doing the right thing. Yeah. And I I can't, I don't really, because it's been two years since I've read it. Mm -hmm. But doesn't
0: he he eventually disobey Stalin in that one?
1: Um, I'm trying to think if he does or not.
0: I don't think, I don't think he does. I mean, I remember the, the intent conversation that he had, I think, with his brother, and... Of course, Lex Luthor was still trying to get things in order. So yeah, that's what freaked me out when the world was depending on him, and he was with Lois, of course. And but Lois wasn't happy. Yeah. um, But I think at the end of the day, he still went through with it, and then Lex, in another saving the day. I guess I think he did. In
1: his in his weird way, there was some weird time loop, wasn't there? That Lex set off that made him like accidentally the hero.
0: I think so. Yeah, it wasn't
1: it wasn't like something Lex really like chose to do.
0: I have to obviously oh, now I got to read Now,
1: see. It. Now now that I'm thinking about it, now I'm thinking, "Oh man, there's probably some weird accelerationist like <laughs> ideology going on <laughs> with Lex Luthor." Yeah. But I don't remember enough of it to really say so. Mm. <clears throat> you know, there's cuz of course we've got, you know, the communists and the capitalist. Have you ever heard of accelerationism before? No, no. Okay, okay. So <clears throat> Uh, to give you like a quick and dirty on accelerationist ideology <clears throat> uh, there are certain uh, there's many different types of communists yeah. and one of them are accelerationists <clears throat> and the idea behind accelerationism is kind of a political version of it's, it's darkest before the dawn yeah. so <clears throat> what they do is they say you know what if we, if we want to get to communism what we do instead of what's been done before is we take capitalism and we do it more and more and more and more and we just, we just hit that button as hard as we can on capitalism and eventually the contradictions inherent in capitalist modes of production as you keep on doing it, as you keep on accelerating capitalism
0: yeah.
1: <clears throat> will cause the system like, like a bad car like a car that has a bad engine yeah. and the parts are clanking against each other until it falls apart
0: yeah.
1: the, the accelerationist communists believe that Instead of, instead of fighting uh, capitalism through revolution or through, you know, putting legislation in place, we should just do more and more and more capitalism until it just explodes itself apart. <clears throat> and so I was wondering, like, is Lex Luthor an accelerationist? You know, because he's, he's here in capitalist America and he does these things that lead to the... that accidentally lead to the... or maybe he did on purpose, maybe yeah. he knew all along, that lead to, like, the creation of the Soviet Superman. Yeah. So I don't know. He might be an undercover... He might be an undercover commie, possibly. Because
0: <laughs> I was—he was. I remember he was extremely, extremely intelligent. Yeah. Well, I mean, he yeah. Was that's the smartest man. Yeah, he was the smartest man in the world. Smartest man in the world. And uh, that's what he wanted. And um, it's funny because I remember uh, an episode of Justice League when he actually—he um, became one with Brainiac, which was like. <laughs> it was, I'm pretty sure it was heaven for him, and um, and of course he had the battle with Super of uh, the Flash. He took the Flash to beat him because he was he went uh what is it went to the Speed Force? Yeah, through the Speed Force. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, um, the nice explanation for everything, Flash. <laughs> you need to explain the Speed Force? Yeah, but I I remember reading that. and I, I think a lot of my one of my former coworkers got me into reading stuff like even reading V for, v for Vendetta. Which is one of my favorites um, films. Then I had to go read the book.
1: See, the thing is, that's one of the few like big famous comics I have not read yet. Really? Yeah. Or even watch the movie. Oh See, man. And I think I think subconsciously the reason why is because around the time that it came out, uh, don't get me wrong, like I was a dumb teenager also. Like I did dumb teenage stuff. So like I'm I'm not trying to I'm not trying to criticize too much. Yeah. But a lot of the other teenagers around me were doing like the really cringy. Like V for Vendetta, like face yeah. thing, and be like, We're, "We are anonymous." Like, okay, <laughs> like, I think I think that
0: kind of put me off off the whole V for Vendetta thing. But sorry for interrupting. Go ahead. No, no, but that was I. I didn't read uh, graphic novels until recently, maybe around college. Yeah. And I, I guess I grew up with a more conservative mindset. That, yeah. you, know, you just couldn't dabble into that stuff because it may be a little bit too influential influential yeah uh, but when i started reading it i'm like wow it's like a totally different where you get a you get a hold of these famous writers yeah and you're like man like i love the way you write like alan moore like oh man like this the dialogue like Watchmen. that was like the first time i ever read something that were like every word was strategically put together oh i love when that happens and it was just beautiful and i'm like i just i couldn't stop reading I couldn't stop reading. Um, so what else did you get into um, as, you, as you
1: grew up? Well, it was, it was mostly science fiction and philosophy. Yeah. As far as reading, it wasn't, it wasn't that diverse. A little bit of history on the side, but not a ton. I'm actually reading way more history now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so definitely, of course, having a very, very uh, religiously she, she votes Democrat, regardless, though, but she's very religiously conservative.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, my mom was also like that, where she, where she, was, not a, she was not a big fan of Harry Potter. No Harry Potter allowed in the house. Oh, wow. You my, know?
0: my sister loves it. She's read every really? book. Yeah. Okay.
1: Okay. Sorry,
0: Harry Potter fans. I, <laughs>
1: I'm not trying to dunk on you. But I've got to be completely honest. When I got older and out of the house and I read, like, the first chapter of Harry Potter... And I was, and I was just like, "Oh, thank God, my mother did not let me read this." <laughs> I, was <laughs> like, I was like, "I know, I know, you weren't trying to protect me from like terrible writing.
2: Yeah. That
1: wasn't your intent, but you did. So, like, <laughs> thank you."
0: <laughs> so, would you say, obviously, you would place that above Fifty Shades of Grey? Yeah, place <laughs> above Fifty Shades of Grey.
1: <laughs> and like, don't get you wrong. Know, there's a ton. There's there's a ton of really bad. Uh, books and movies and films i enjoy Mm -hmm. but as i enjoy them i have to admit to myself that they are like uh they're very bad pieces of art you know (laughs) there's a there's a lot of people i actually do not mind if somebody uh and of course you know live and let live even even if you want to make the argument that's okay Mm -hmm. but like there's a lot of people who like really bad art and then when, and then when we, like, you're having a discussion, you're like, I don't know, I think that's a really bad piece of art. Mm-hmm. They take it as, like, a personal attack. Yeah. And it's like, no, calm down. Like, I listen to Kesha on repeat, you know, when <laughs> I'm driving. I love Kesha. She's terrible at music, but I love her. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying you're bad as a person for liking it, but, like, the actual quality of the piece itself. Like, eh. Yeah. You know, so that's, that's how I feel about Harry Potter. Like, no, they're often join it, but if you ask me if it's actually, like, good literature, I'm going to be like, no. No. Not by a mile. Especially <laughs> especially because J.K. Rowling decides to retcon all of her characters as as being some weird amalgam of of like stuff like, oh well, you know, uh, Snape was actually gay and I never put it in the book. What? You know. It's like listen, it's cool if Snake is gay, but yeah. like you're just going back and change that to the fact. And it's like, okay, 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 fine. So, Snape is gay, okay, that's cool. Like, who cares? Then she'll be stuff like uh Hermione was transgender. And you're like, you've never put any piece of that in the book, you know. And then you'd be like, uh, Harry Potter's actually Jewish, and it's like, okay, calm down, like, calm down, like it's yeah. like I like you support diversity and that's great. I also support diversity, but you're just like, you're just you're just throwing this out there for the clout
0: at this yeah. point, you know. Yeah.
1: So that's oh,
0: God, JK Rowling.
1: My my eternal, like, writing arch
0: nemesis. It's very interesting listening to people talk about what they were into as far as reading material um, in their younger years. Because when I was younger, I remember being glued to the television and and being the type of person that just wanted to be outside. But I never took the time to dissect books. My sisters did. My mom did. But for me, I guess I was stuck living in my own head. But listening to Sean, I realized that that reading material and that habitual concept actually helped mold him into who he is. Um, if you ever get an opportunity to talk to Sean Parchem, you won't regret it. He, he's, he's always giving out new information and his, his head is, his brain is like a sponge, you know? So uh, continue to listen. Uh, this is episode 53 of the glory in our stories. With Sean Parcham. So uh, I guess going into um, adulthood, what has always been your your passion? What is it that you <clears throat> that you thrive? What's something that really compels you? Well, you know, uh, I would
1: definitely say uh, there's this there's this phrase by Hemingway, you know, and so I wouldn't say it's like one particular thing, but there's this. There's this phrase he had where he said, there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing noble about being superior to your fellow man.
2: Yeah. True
1: nobility is being superior to your former self. Wow. And so uh, a lot of times I'll start something new trying to get at that. Yeah. And so recently I started going to the gym.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I want to get more healthy, I want to live long enough to see my daughter. Yeah. You know, graduate. I've tried unsuccessfully, but still getting there. I've reduced the amount that I smoke. Yeah, that's <clears> good. And I started trying to get into uh, tomato gardening.
0: Oh, cool. Why tomatoes?
1: Because <laughs> uh, you can eat them. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, legitimately, <laughs> yeah. though. There, yeah. There's all these people that get into gardening, you know, and they've got like, oh, here's my tulips or whatever. I'm like, they look nice, but... Yeah. Like, I want some return on my investment here. <laughs>
0: well,
1: uh, <yeah. clears throat> but also... uh, this is going to sound... I don't mean to sound like some paranoid like person, but I really, I really do believe it would be great if everybody learned kind of food self-sufficiency. Yeah. And the thing is, you've got to practice what you preach, right? Mm-hmm. So I was like, so I've got to get started on learning how to actually
2: grow food. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> wow.
1: And so it's not just... Like, it's not just a hobby... Kind of thing. Even though I actually really do enjoy it, and it's not just kind of uh, oh I want to eat kind of thing. I just feel like <clears throat> self sufficiency is important.
0: Yeah.
1: On many levels, financial self sufficiency, but also you know there's been times where there's been economic crashes, and you know mm-hmm. well you got to know some skills. Yeah. Right. In case something like that happens, and you know you don't even need an economic crash. Maybe a flood, you know, yeah. and you learn to recognize. What types of things you can eat, what type of things you can't eat, what's poisonous, what's not, mm-hmm. you know, whether or not the drinking water is clean, that kind of
0: thing. Yeah.
1: So, even it's just a general life skill.
0: Now, over the last 20 years, do you think natural disasters have put us in that position where it made us remember, hey, it's, we're yeah. very dependent yeah. on what it's, we've been given? We're really, yeah, I mean, we really are. And
1: actually, don't get me wrong, I love. I love, oh boy, getting political. I actually really am a big government guy.
0: Yeah.
1: Like, if you ask me, the government doesn't do enough. I'm like, raise those taxes, pump more into, you know, welfare funding, all that kind of thing. But yeah, on another level, like, you do have to be sufficient on yourself, because it's not maybe always going to be there, you know? The government's, uh, will send the rescue team, but what are you going to do in the meantime? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So... Yeah, so I think it's actually really important to be self-sufficient also. Uh, A lot of this industrial farming and whatnot isn't really great for the environment. And so if you grow on your plot of land, that's just growing grass anyways. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: You could save some food. Yeah. You could have actually food that has less impact on the environment. So it's also... It's all these things at once as far as learning how to grow tomatoes.
0: Well, in reference to that... um do you think that most people have a fear of that, which is probably why a lot of people go into post-apocalyptic Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, the, the post-apocalyptic kind
1: of bizarreness, yeah. if you want to call it that. Yeah, you know, I think a part of it's also kind of a fantasy for a lot of people, you really? know? Like, okay, so <clears throat> you, you see a lot of people, like, talking about these post-apocalyptic scenarios and you notice a lot of these people have, like, these bumper stickers, you know, about the zombie response team.
2: <laughs> yeah, I love
1: it. And they've got a collection of guns larger than they'll ever need. Like, they can't even carry those many guns. What, like, what, <laughs> what, what, what do you need all those guns for? Even if there is a zombie, pops, you can't shoot 20 guns at once. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Shit, like, what yeah. what's going on here? And so it's, it's not rational, and it seems like a lot of it is based on this kind of... of bizarre fantasy and to a certain extent the idea of apocalypse is actually kind of comforting because yeah. all these stresses all these responsibilities of daily life grinding mm-hmm. away in the car for an hour going to and from work if the apocalypse happens ain't got to go to work no more
2: <laughs> don't yeah. have to
1: go through that grind Yeah. you know everything's reset to zero you know if you're the low man on the totem pole and the apocalypse ha- happens mm-hmm. you know you don't have to answer to your boss or whatever Or whatever jerk who's above you in the social hierarchy. And so I feel like a lot of the post-apocalyptic stuff really is people, and sometimes not realizing it, actually wanting it to happen Mm -hmm. so they can be relieved of the stress of modern life. You know? I don't know. It just seems seems a little bit too close. Well, yeah. There's a lot of difference. I'm trying to think of a good way to put this. There's a lot of people that grasp with the reality of something in a rational way and then there's also people that glom onto that and bring their kind of issues with it or their hopes and fears and it makes the other people look like crazy in comparison Yeah, you know <clears throat> so I don't know I'll never bumper sticker my car with stuff like zombie response survival I'll never buy like 20 guns or anything like that. <clears throat> I'll never sit there and stockpile an entire garage full of MREs. Wow. Like also that food tastes terrible if you ever had it before. <clears throat> it's the worst. <clears throat> but yeah. Yeah, so but going back to the original point, yeah, I really feel like if we're talking about the 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 whole glory in your story kind of thing, mm-hmm. I live a mostly pretty average life and the so for me it's gotta be just being better than I was in the past you know and that's, basic, and that's basically it because what, what more can I do really yeah. you know <clears throat> so I just got to be better than, I, better than I was in the past
0: evolving yeah, yeah.
1: exactly that, that kind of thing <clears throat> and so yeah uh, that's definitely I definitely say that's it that's definitely the whole glory in my story kind of thing
0: and I guess that it also plays into you being a father. Like how, like how did that go for you? Like the moment, like oh. that reality set in. Like I know it's probably <laughs> different for a lot of men, but
1: so okay.
0: <clears throat> this is going to sound really strange, but
1: and of course I love my daughter a ton. But the moment she was born, it was almost like there was this unemotional uh, disconnect from reality. Yeah, you know <clears throat> and I think it was more kind of shock than anything else
2: mm-hmm.
1: but your whole canary was like how do you feel and you've and like I guess I had this look like I was a deer stuck in the headlights and I was like uh <laughs> I don't know I don't really feel anything right now it's just too much to process I guess yeah. I'm overloaded yeah. <clears throat> and really that's the worst part about uh, when you eventually have a kid that's the worst part of having a kid in the beginning, like the first few moments, is all the family members pouring in, and your wife is just laying on the table. She's tired as hell, mm-hmm. you know. She's gone through a lot of pain, and everybody's standing around her while she's holding the baby, and they're standing around you with the kid, and everybody's asking all these questions. And you're like, God, gosh, you know, like the kid was born, was just born, like hours <laughs> ago. Give us some time alone with them, you know. Yeah and I get everybody's excited to see the kid and everything but like there you go there's your, there's your two minutes staring at the kid go get out so I can like you know relate to my kid yeah. alone as a father I guess, I guess there's other guys who don't feel that way but for me that was the weirdest part of, of the first like two hours to a day of it and the other thing later on when they get older the actual hardest part when they're like six months old is actually just a lack of sleep yeah. You know, like, I don't... I get everybody finds different things difficult.
2: Mm-hmm. I
1: get that. For me, though, it was not that difficult outside of the lack of sleep. Because it's really simple. You change the kid's diaper, you read to him at bedtime, you feed them well, you make sure they don't accidentally kill themselves by, you know, sticking the fork in there. Yes. <clears throat> and it doesn't... And that part doesn't really seem that difficult. But then when they get older, then the discipline's really difficult.
2: Yeah.
1: That's That's when it gets... Really hard. And there's this period between when they finally sleep through the night and before they need to be disciplined, when they get to the age where they can start doing bad stuff. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> like, you know, like pulling on the cat's tail. <laughs> there's this period between them where it's just, like, perfect. You're like, man, this is so easy. This is like autopilot. But then when they get to that point around, like, two and a half to three years old where they start doing bad stuff,
2: mm-hmm.
1: boy teaching them discipline for the six months after that is just like is hell on earth <laughs> but once you get it down though
2: yeah. it gets,
1: it starts to get a, a, a lot more smooth
2: yeah.
1: they still have their moments and one thing is, I don't think a lot of people realize this even people who are parents but a lot of times the kid being really fussy is more the fact that you just need to make him take a nap yeah a lot of discipline issues at that age are just okay this kid needs to take a nap <laughs> this kid is sleepy
0: yeah
1: so, but yeah, definitely. And a part of me, and I know that, that this, this might be me being a little bit obsessive about being a better person in relation to being a father. Mm-hmm. I'm constantly thinking about, other than just reading to them at bedtime, like, what can I do to help them learn and, like, get an edge?
2: Yeah.
1: You know? <clears throat> and so the reading to them at bedtime has definitely her- helped. But I'm still stuck on, like, figuring out how to get her to understand numbers past just counting you know I have tried to like teach her a little bit of addition yeah and I think it's also possible that she's just not ready at that age mm-hmm. that the mental development isn't just there yet to start understanding concepts like addition and subtraction mm-hmm. and whatnot. so but yeah sometimes that can actually be a bit of an issue because I'm I'm sitting here. I'm like, oh man, I hope she can get this, and I'm worrying if she's behind on development and whatnot. It's not actually a big deal.
0: <laughs> <you know? laughs> it sounds like it's just like the typical, like a standard worry that a parent experiences, and it also ties into how much you really love her. Obviously. Yeah. yeah,
1: I mean, trust me. There's there's no better feeling in the world in my whole life, and I'm not. I'm not just saying this as like a happy like Hallmark thing. Yeah. I hate happy Hallmark phrases. If I if, if I'm gonna say something or like agree with something, it has it has to be the real deal. But real deal, when when you get home when you pick her up in the daycare and she turns around and she goes, Daddy yeah. and she runs up to you and hugs you, like that is the that is the best feeling in the world. Like hands <laughs> down ever. Wow. Like that's that's better that's better than a really good cake. That's better that's oh my gosh, that's better than everything. Like I don't know. There's no there's no there's no adjective or descriptor I can put mm-hmm. to really like communicate until you just you just experience it.
0: I, when you st- when you were describing the moment that you were in the uh, delivery room, yeah. I was I was <laughs> it's probably a bad example. I was thinking about you remember the movie Blow?
1: Yeah, yeah, I remember that movie, the Johnny uh, Depp one yes. where he's a
0: cocaine dealer? Yeah, that was a great movie. Yes, it, it really was. It really was, and I, he's one of my favorite actors. Probably. I don't remember there being a delivery scene. Was there? Yeah, because the, he was. <laughs> <laughs> Something happened. Of course, he was getting high on his own supply. Yeah. So his wife is giving birth to his daughter. Oh, he and sh- he's shaking in the. Yes. Yeah. And I'm okay. like, that moment, because he was like, that was like an, an analogy for what you just said. Because like, life is hitting you, and you're like busy trying to do whatever you want to do, but now you've got to be responsible Full-fisted, for somebody yeah. else. And it's like all that. It's like this weird disconnect. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I'll hit you at once. I don't know. Uh, it's just I'm failing for words on the whole father thing. Yeah. Father fatherhood kind of thing. I think it's possible because I haven't experienced enough of it in yeah. the later ages to really put words to it.
0: And it, and it makes sense because usually when I do ask people uh, like what's the glory in your story? The most recent person I asked, she was she basically said, "I don't know yet." Yeah. And I, and I was like, "You know what? It's, that's probably like the best answer I've heard because you're still developing." Yeah, you I mean
1: Honest to God, I I, I definitely... If you would have asked me two years ago, I would have said that. But... And the funny thing is this actually happened uh, because I started thinking about going to the gym and working out. Actually, believe it or not. Because... uh, I've only been working out for a year. But I kind of floated in my mind for a year before that. Yeah. Uh, And I actually got that quote... Uh, looking on these bodybuilding forms, mm-hmm. uh, these forums for discussion online for bodybuilding, stuff like how to have proper form, like how much you should go to the gym, how many reps, how many sets you do.
2: Yeah.
1: And they were talking about avoiding this feeling that you're never doing enough. And they put that quote, and it's going to sound really cheesy that I saw on some forum on the internet, but I mean, what, what more can I do other than just be better than myself in the past? Yeah. You know, that kind of thing.
2: Hmm.
1: so if you asked me two years ago I would have said yeah but that's honestly for about two years has been my mantra Hmm. just be better than you previously
0: were and
1: you'll eventually get there
0: that's the uh that's the same mentality I had once I came here uh, for school and because as a student in high school I realize now that a lot of it wasn't that I didn't know the material I didn't apply myself. Oh yeah. And in <laughs> hindsight, I'm like, that sucks, man. Cause like I missed so many opportunities. Uh, but if I hadn't made those decisions, I wouldn't be where I am. Where you are right now, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but now definitely, that's I totally agree. Being better than what you were before, cause you're constantly saying, what can I do to get even further, to get even closer. Yeah. Oh my God. Don't don't bring back memories of high school for me <laughs> you know honestly i feel the same way man my I, I i've talked to a lot of people and they've always said yo I, I, my high school experience was oh like honestly man it was a blur for me because yeah. was, i was so into my own world and i was just looking at people from the outside Yeah,
1: no i had the exact same feeling yeah exact same one until i reached i think it was junior year and i kind of Actually, this is a great curse. I wish, I wish it, it didn't. It wouldn't have happened.
2: Yeah.
1: <clears throat> because the thing is, is before Junior Wu and I socially broke out of my shell or whatever,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I felt the exact same way. I was just kind of in the classroom, doing the classwork or not doing the classwork. Yeah. And it was like I never really felt anything emotionally very strongly. Mm-hmm. And if ever like a bully picked on me, it was just like okay, whatever, don't care. Yeah. Like, I'm just gonna sit here and just you know, do whatever. Like it was, I mean, uh to a certain degree, I didn't experience a lot of emotion, but it was like the perfect shield to all the terrible stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and so and I've recently gotten better about this, but slowly from junior year of high school on, getting more and more out of my out of my shell, it emotionally hurt a lot more.
2: Mm. You
1: know? And I guess part of it was also my fault for, for taking certain things maybe a bit too seriously or not calming down or, or getting the anxiety to go away or, you know, stuff like that. Uh, but it's only recently, within the past few years, that I've been able to kind of reclaim the calm yeah. without just emotionally just not being there. Yeah. You know? Like now it feels like I have the best of both worlds. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Yes, it, perfectly. <clears throat> but honestly, I don't know. If I could skip those years where I kinda opened up Ooh, I'd definitely do it. <laughs> Strange was also the years that I got academically better. Mm-hmm. Uh, funny thing is, I got even even up to senior year, senior years when I stopped doing this,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I wouldn't do any of the homework. None of it. My teacher would come up and they'd go, "Well, you got a ninety-eight on the test, but you got zeros on your homework. Why aren't you doing your homework?" And I'm, I'm uh, like, don't be wrong. Teachers have have good job, uh, have you know, tough jobs and everything like that. Mm. But I just felt, like, I knew I'd get in trouble for saying this, but I just felt like, you know I'm not doing it. Like, like don't, 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 don't BS me here. You know yeah. why. Because I want to go home and do what I want to do. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I'm
1: like, <Yeah. laughs> I mean, like, you know I know the material. I'm not asking you to give me, I'm not asking you to erase my zeros. Just accept it for what it is. Yeah. <clears throat> and I don't mean to brag, but my, my test scores were so good that I could actually coast with you know, A's and B's uh, without doing the homework. Of mm. course, surprisingly, I loved doing essays. Really? So that was also part of it. The essays also really bumped it up. Yeah. There were one or two classes where I did the math, and to get the A, I had to actually do the homework. For those ones, I'd actually do it.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> but otherwise, nah. Yeah. Always throw that homework in the trash. I'll never apologize for that. I hate homework, I think it's the stupidest possible concept. Oh, yeah. if, if somebody, like, I'm not going to berate any teachers over it. You know, yeah. when my kid's in school. But yeah. if my kid's getting, like, 98s on the test and, like, 98s and 100s on the paper, I'm going to be like, don't stress yourself about it. <laughs> like, get a, get a get high enough GPA to get the scholarships.
2: Mm. And then don't
1: worry about it because nobody cares about your grades after high school. You know, after you get into college, nobody cares about what happened <laughs> in high school. <clears throat> they really don't. They really don't. No. Uh, and, then, and, then, and then they wonder why kids don't listen to adults. Because adults are always like, this is really serious. High school is it. If you if you mess around here, like it ruins your whole life, and then, and then
0: they're like, no, it really doesn't. Like, you know. <laughs> I remember, uh, I was really jealous of my sister because she was the type of student that could go home, do the homework or not, ace the test. Yeah. And I'm like, what are you? I'm I'm like struggling with this homework oh, that I'm okay. in one subject. What was, what was the subject? Uh, for me, it was math. Okay. Oh, my God. Okay.
1: So I learned this about math in college because I was always okay at math. I wasn't terrible at it. I wasn't great. Yeah. But then uh, I really loved stats. And so for my degree, I had to take a lot of stat classes. hmm <clears throat> And I finally, like, hit a wall in my math abilities. <clears throat> and I forgot who told me this, but they said that math, especially learning math, hmm is a lot more emotional than most people give it credit for. Mm. Because when you hit the walls, it's a real negative feeling. And so this negative feeling causes certain personality types to withdraw. Mm. And other personality types, it causes them to engage with it more. And instead of just following what's in the book or what their teacher said, these people will try to say, do the problem a different way. And even even if it doesn't work that different way, something in their brains will connect the dots based off learning from that failure. And they said, so maybe you're not that personality type of person who can do that, and I'm certainly not, but you can also kind of train yourself to, uh, when you hit the wall on your math classes, to not take it in an emotional way. And so there's a lot of people perfectly capable of doing even advanced math who aren't math prodigies. But the blockage is kind of like an emotional one, of the bad feelings you get, saying like, oh, I'm not smart enough to figure out this math problem. Well, you are. You just gotta kinda slow down, yeah. step away, step back
0: into it with a fresh mind. And that helped me a lot with my stat classes. Wow, <clears throat> and, I, and which was, which my fiance could contest, when we hit that wall, like, this isn't for me. Especially when it was yeah. uh, college. I mean, college algebra, I had to help have somebody coach me. Like, once I hit that wall, I said I wanted to back away, but my math professor was like, no, you need to get over this wall. You need to get through it because this is the only way you're going to get through your prerequisites. So I'm going to help guide you. So I can only imagine how much more difficult it would have been if right. I hadn't. But for me, I needed somebody to coach me.
1: Yeah, you know, I never really had anybody... Uh, that was a piece of advice that I got in college from one of my classmates. Yeah. But the funny thing is the best math teacher I ever had... I never had a conversation with him outside of class. Never even raised my hand for the class. And I actually could not understand half of what he was saying. <laughs> like literally? Because I mean, he was a great guy. He was, yeah. uh, but he was a Chinese immigrant, and he had a very thick accent.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'll never forget this. We were learning about alpha, alpha values. Okay, but mm-hmm. he pronounced it arpha.
2: <laughs>
1: so I go, I go to sit down and study after class. I'm looking over the book, and I'm like, where the hell is the arfa value? You know, where's, like, I'm seeing the sigma and the, and the delta. Where's the alpha? Yeah. And so I'm looking through the glossary of the book, like, trying to find alpha, like, alphabetically. And, like, and I read the chapter, like, three times, you know. Yeah. And then eventually it hits me. He's like, no, he meant alpha. Oh, my God. But the thing is, it got me to read the chapter three times. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I wonder if he did it on purpose. I don't know. <laughs> you know, maybe he did. Maybe he did. Oh, wow. But that was the best teacher I ever had because I didn't <laughs> understand anything that he said in the class. So I had to go back and read it. Yeah. But also when I did understand it, he explained it really well. Uh, so I got to give him credit for that. Mm-hmm. But my worst subject is actually foreign language.
2: Mm.
1: And this is ironic because my entire wife's family, they're from Mexico and Chile and they all speak Spanish. Some of them don't even speak English. Mm. Yeah. So I'm sitting here at the dinner table... Uh, and I hated foreign language classes in high school and college. Nothing against language. I'm just really terrible at it. Yeah. <clears throat> like hearing, you know, Spanish flying from this section Spanish flying from that direction. I have no idea what they're saying. Just silently sitting there eating. <laughs> <You know.
2: laughs>
0: well, that, that was my that struggle with foreign language. That was <clears throat> mine because I took like a couple of Spanish classes in here when I got to the third one. The professor spoke nothing but Spanish. Oh and okay. I'm tried there, the immersion thing. Man, I sat in the back and I'm looking at people like do y'all am I the only one that don't understand what he's saying? And everybody's nodding their head and I'm like, No, I need to, I need to leave. So that was that was it for me. That was I'm not oh, trying okay. anymore. Not trying anymore. Um but I I'ma ask you this and uh, then uh this probably be the last question. Um Yeah, sure. If you had because usually I ended with, you know, what's the glory in your stories? And your answer was uh, pretty, I, I love it. It's solid. Yeah. Uh, but I wanted to ask, if you were able to give um, kids, even teenagers, in 2019 any advice on how to just get through, what would you tell them?
1: So, well, I know i said a lot about this, but we're going to go back to it. I would, honest to God say because this is what my dad did with me, and I feel like it really helped. Because yet again, I'm not going to talk about particularly what happened. Yeah. But it helped me out of a really troubled time in my life. And it helped me stay out of trouble. <clears throat> but, yeah, read. Read philosophy. And I'm not talking like Deepak Chopra or whatever the new guru on Oprah is. Yeah. I mean, read actual philosophy like the Aristotles and the Deleuze's and Gattari's mm-hmm. and all those guys. I mean, you can't read everything. There's too much of it. Yeah. But read, read some of it, you know. <clears throat> Because there's, there's a lot of stuff that I read in there that really helped me through life.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm going to be completely honest. A lot of my <clears> – <throat> I have more friends that do hard drugs than those that don't. <laughs> but I've never, I've, never, I've never smoked like a spliff of weed or anything worse in my whole life. Yeah. I'll even be hanging out with sometimes and they'll break out the cocaine. <clears throat> <Yeah. clears throat> and, uh, and there is this kind of ridiculous stereotype about drug users – that they're all kind of out of control and addicted. But believe it or not, I've known quite a few of them where they're not addicted. So I'm, don't do drugs, kids. Don't, because there's still a chance you're gonna get addicted, yeah. and it's a pretty good chance. <clears throat> but, uh, and a lot of it, a lot of the philosophy helped me to re- resist the kind of temptation. And also to know myself better, mm-hmm. because I know that I'm the type of person who gets easily addicted to just anything. Yeah. I get very easily addicted to just anything. And I know that if I ever touched an ounce of drugs, that would be it, I'd be gone, yeah. you know? <clears throat> That's not true for, for everybody, it's definitely true for me. And so knowing a lot of this philosophy uh, taught me how to resist temptation, how to know more about myself so I know where my limits are, and not just in drugs, but just in life in general, yeah. you know? <clears throat> so yeah, I would definitely say
0: learn, learn philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. So, so if you're listening, to kids, um, basically learn more about yourself, learn learn who you are, and um, I guess that's one thing. Don't be afraid of the classics. I mean, I yeah, know, don't, don't be, be afraid of the classics. Definitely. definitely I know a lot of people. But also, don't be
1: afraid of the new stuff. Yeah. I will be completely honest, and this is something that really, because uh, I studied philosophy in college, because that was my passion back in high school. Yeah. It still is today. <laughs> What happens with every single philosopher, I guarantee you this, always happens, Mm. is that they write something, right? And then they release the book, and all of the philosophers in the universities, all the academic, the official philosophers, Mm. they look at it and they scoff at it. And they're like, okay, well, you know, this, uh, this has a poor origin in the classics or whatever it is that they don't like about it, and they dismiss it for decades. And then, decades later, those same institutions, the professors will come back and be like, wow, this writing was amazing. <laughs> this <laughs> is like some of the, you know, some of the best uh, you know, philosophy of that era yeah. after they've pushed it away for decades. <clears throat> and so absolutely do the classics, but also look for emerging writings on philosophy mm-hmm. because there's nothing worse than, than being, being that old guy who uh, who like pretends to be in a biker gang who only listens to classic rock <laughs> and thinks that all the new stuff is terrible yeah. you know like you'd be like back in my day we didn't listen to mumble rappers we had Led
0: Zeppelin <laughs> you know like oh, there's not- don't be that person also yeah but Sean uh, I really appreciate your time hey man, it's all good and um, uh, chatting and um, basically telling us your story i really appreciate that Uh, for those of you who are listening this is episode 53 of the glory in our stories with sean parcher